What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. And the Oscar goes to... Oh, thank you so much. This might be the one time I'm speaking. This is not a joke. Moonlight is one best picture. Could you double check the envelope? And I can't deny the fact that you like me. Thank you, life. Thank you, love. You guys are just standing up because you feel bad that I fell, and that's really embarrassing, but thank you. This is nuts. It's a tie. I'm the king of the world. And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... Just my only object is being here is to try and get out of What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a I could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm going to make him an offer again. The census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fire for Frodo. Nice clean. Don't laugh! Can't stop what's coming. This ain't reality TV! I will not fall into despair. You hate bloggers. You mock Twitter. It's time, Robbie. He's fast. Welcome to the Next Best Picture Podcast. Oscar goes to... Okay, Coda. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 314 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia. Time of recording is 11.04 a.m. on October 9th, 2022. Here to join me today for this episode, I have Amy Smith. Hi, everyone. Will Mavity. Hello, hello, hello. And Josh Parham. Hello, hello. All right, so the New York Film Festival is still going on. You you know, I was having this conversation with somebody last night that, you know, when you stop and think about it, Telluride is only for four days, TIFF is only for 10 days. New York Film Fest is going on for like 16 freaking days. (laughs) (laughs) It feels like it's never ending. Uh, But, you know, it's exciting because this week we're going to get the world premiere of She Said. So that'll be a nice question mark that'll get answered here in the Oscar race. Uh, we've gotten some updates in regards to how all the Beauty and the Bloodshed is being received as well. It was the centerpiece uh, screening film. Tar opened in theaters this weekend. Triangle of Sadness opened in theaters. We got Decision to Leave opening next week. All Quiet on the Western Front is starting to expand. It's a really exciting time for uh, movies in general, uh, despite the fact that the mainstream box office seems to always be giving us indications that general audiences don't seem to be that interested in these types of films. Uh, as evidenced by, like, I, I still can't get over, like, Bros's box office showing. But either way, I don't want to, like, have this episode be a downer. I want to talk about some positive things. And the way, best way to do that is to focus it on the MVP film community, who we all love, cherish, and adore. So for this week's show, we're going to do primarily Q&As, fan-submitted questions from all of you. And then we're going to sprinkle some trailer uh, discussion throughout for Emancipation, Causeway, and yes... 
the Super Mario Brothers trailer. <laughs> and we'll go over to polls. But before we get to all of that, I do want to know what everyone's been catching up with this week. So, Amy, uh, we'll start off with you. Anything you've been watching in the cinema or at home? Yes, so I've seen two sort of big releases this week. I finally caught up with Don't Worry Darling, and I have so many thoughts on this film. This could have been <laughs> a really fantastic film. I think the direction by Olivia Wilde, you can't fault it. She nails the style, the world building, all of that. I think that's not the fault of the film. The fault of the film comes with the screenplay, particularly with the final act and where they decide to take this story. I don't know. I know there was a lot of testing going on with this film, but I struggle to see how this was the one that played best with all, like with the test audience because I wanted so much more from this ending. I think Florence Pugh is spectacular. I think Harry Styles sort of grows into the role, but it's so tough to watch him in the first hour. And Chris Pine, I love his character, but they give him nothing to do. Like, they could have given him so much more. So it was a film for me that had a lot of potential, but left me feeling very disappointed by the end, which I'm really disappointed about. Um, on top of that, I also saw Ticket to Paradise, which is a new George Clooney and um, Julia Roberts film. And it's exactly what it looks like in the trailer. It's a lot. It's basically an advertisement for Bali, which I really want to go to now because it looks stunning. But I don't care about the secondary relationship between Caitlin Deaver's character. I don't care about any of that. I come in for the relationship between Julia Roberts and George Clooney, and I got that, and I had a lot of fun of it. So if that's what you need right now, it's that sort of film for you. Okay. All right, then. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that movie just to kind of have a nice like palate cleanser, you know, your traditional studio rom-com, you know, but like that's what Bros was as well. And comparatively speaking, this being George Clooney and Julia Roberts, you know, this will be like the deciding factor in determining whether or not rom-coms are really destined for streaming or if it's audiences will show up when it's a rom-com starring big names like George Clooney and Julia Roberts. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. I will say my screening was pretty busy, actually, for this. And this was, like, a Thursday at, like, 3 p.m. And my screening, there was, there was plenty of mums in for it. Mm. All right. Let's move over next to Will Mavity. Will, what have you been catching up with this week? After this episode, I'm going to try to do a double feature of Tar and Triangle of Sadness. So hopefully I will be able to report back next week about my thoughts on those. Which uh, order are you doing that in? I was planning on Tar and then Triangle. Should I reverse that? I think that that is the way to go. Um, Well... Mm. Tar is long from what I've heard. So you want to do that while you're uh, before you're, <laughs> you know what? Yeah, 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 I think you got the right order there. Also, because like you'll probably walk out of tar feeling that length and, you know, I'm not saying you're not going to like it, but Triangle of Sadness, just in case if you're not so into tar, I, I think you'll be more entertained by Triangle of Sadness. That's what I figured. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that's coming up. But uh, the only new thing I saw this week was Bodies, 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 which was was fun. I mean, I thought it was pretty witty. I think it, um, you know, it's a pretty short movie, but even then I think the, um, it doesn't quite sustain the the hilarity of its concept for its runtime. And I, 
I knew where that ending was going, <laughs> you know, pretty early on. I, I still liked it, though. No, I did, too. Like, it's still a lot of fun. Um, I I loved Rachel Sinat in that movie so much. Yeah. That scene where um, Maria Bakalova's talking about her mother. She's having to support her mother. And then she's like, oh, no, that's terrible. You know, I've never told anyone this, but I have body dysmorphia. <laughs> I I literally felt attacked when she said the line about making the podcast. The podcast yeah. <laughs> you got to organize all the guests and it's really hard. I was like, stop it. Stop it now. <laughs> no, I, I, I definitely liked it. You know, I just I've seen some people gushing on it over it on this website and I wouldn't go that far. To me, it's like a 7.5. That, that's how I felt, too. Yeah, like a solid 7, good time. Like, I, I agree. I, I wasn't blown away by it, but it, that cast just makes it so much fun. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I, I enjoyed everyone in it. Um, I'm glad Maria Bakalova is having more roles after Borat. Uh, I love Mandel Stenberg when uh, they're in anything. So we, we don't we don't talk about the bubble. When it comes to Maria Bakalova. Oh, God, I <laughs> existed. But yeah, um, other stuff was just like spooky season watching. Like I was able to catch Friday the 13th part three in its native 3D. Oh, my there's God. Only one jealous. <laughs> yeah, there's only one person on this podcast who would care about that. And that's Josh Parham. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm pretty stoked by that. It, like people don't notice, but like me and my friends used to get together and watch those Michael Myers or Jason Voorhees films, but like not the classic originals, but like the, bl- the bad sequels. Oh, yeah. And we would just have a blast watching those like as a group. So much fun. So one thing I noticed about that one is there's multiple scenes of like people taking shits in that movie with like audio. I have no idea why, but like, you know, opening scene, it's building up this tension of like, oh, where's Michael? Is he hiding behind the laundry? And then you spend like 45 seconds with one character and you hear like. (laughs) So uh, interesting directorial (laughs) choices going on there. But yeah, so that that was kind of fun. If you're able to see it, I know Alamo Drafthouse uh, is bringing it back a couple times this month. If you can see it in 3D, it's actually it's one of those where they're like, "Fuck doing depth and bringing you in." We, we just want to throw stuff at you. Oh, it's very of- gimmicky. Yes, yeah. For sure. So, but like, that's uh, fun too. That's why I wanted to watch it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that, that that's about it for me this week. A good time had by all. Josh Parm, we're up to you. So there were a few things that I was able to get to this week. Um, One thing was that I did catch up with a new release called God's Creatures, which is the new film that has Emily Watson and Paul Mescal in it. And I was really looking forward to this, actually, and I have to admit to being a bit underwhelmed by it, and that was very disappointing. I, I just sort of felt like there wasn't much happening in the movie, and I know that might make me sound very simplistic, but it just sort of felt like... There was a lot of a setup and atmosphere, but it never really had much momentum for me. And it was kind of a real struggle to get invested in that story. So I was very underwhelmed by it. Despite there being some decent performances in it, it just never really came together as an engaging film. And it was quite underwhelming, I have to say. I was upset to miss this when it opened up last weekend. Um, I still haven't watched it yet. I'm going to. Uh, but yeah, hearing these kinds of reactions to it where it, it's, you know, pretty split. Like no one's like enthusiastic in their praise. It's either it's good or people are kind of mixed on it. I haven't heard anyone say that it's outright terrible either, uh, but it's not it's not enticing me to like rush to see it. 
Watch it before the end of the year for your end of the year awards because Emily Watson really is excellent in it. Mm. Okay. Um, yeah, I do agree. She's great. I just, I just wish the movie kind of came together a little bit more strongly. And about halfway through, they sort of introduce an element that seems like, okay, now it's what it's sort of actually about and you can get more interest in it. But then it sort of meanders away from that. And it was just very frustrating to try to find something to entice me to keep watching and it kind of evaded that for me so not a bad movie but kind of bland to be honest at the end of the day yeah uh i also ended up seeing this new documentary on amazon the sound of 007 which is all about the music of the bond franchise and i will say that for me specifically it's not a very revealing documentary they do use a lot of interviews that i have seen before so if you're like a diehard fan i don't know if it's really going to add too much that's new but if you just have passing familiarity with the series and want to learn more i think it's a perfectly fine documentary like like i said not too revealing but still really interesting to just look back at the history of the music and that's always fun and as a bond fan i still find that to be interesting all the same too yeah and uh the last thing that i will mention is that i also did finally get to see triangle of sadness myself and I am going to be one of the voices that's a little bit more critical on this movie, I feel like. I I do lean positive with it because there's enough very entertaining moments in it, for sure, that really kept me engaged. But I also feel like this movie has so many kind of things it wants to say and doesn't really say them all that deeply to me. I mean, it's also a long movie, too. It's like two and a half hours. And... I, I just sometimes felt like some of its ideas could have been streamlined and it would have been much more effective for me. But as I said, I think I still lean positive on it. I'm just not with the overwhelming praise that other people seem to be attaching to this film. Yeah, having seen it twice now, I will admit that the length has always been a problem for me on both viewings. I do feel like it loses momentum when it gets to the third act, even though Dolly DeLeon like, saves that third act, in my opinion. Uh, everything that's going on with her character and her performance is probably the best aspect of everything that happens when they do get to the island. But for the first two acts, I was loving the shit out of this movie. Uh, Harris Dickinson is like showing some really incredible range, I feel like, over the last two years between uh, Kingsman, uh, this, Beach Rats, and uh, what was the other thing? Uh, See How They Run, too. I mean, like, I'm starting to believe that there's nothing that this guy can't do. And Charlie Dean, uh, such a tragedy, because I feel like this would have been just such a breakout role for her to get uh, more work in the future. And her death is just so crushing uh, to see like that life and career just get cut short. Uh, overall, like I still really much love that movie. Um, I do think, though, that if you watch it like not in a theater atmosphere, I don't know. I don't know how it plays uh, watching it like at home, for example. Yeah, it's definitely a movie that the experience is enhanced with the crowd. You know, I I do definitely believe that. Uh, So does the neon marketing team as well. We should point out. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I, I don't know. Just at the end of the day, I did feel like it just was trying to do a little too much. It felt overstuffed to me. And I think it had it been kind of trimmed down and a little bit more focused, I would have been much more into it. But as it is, like I said, I still do lean positive on it, even though I'm a little bit more mixed than other people are. Which scene made you laugh the most? Well, <laughs> I mean, the the toilet stuff 
<laughs> as gross as it is, there is just like a, a shock to it that is just unrelenting. Uh, there's also, I would, I don't want to give it away, but I would just say like the developing dynamics between Dolly De Leon and Harris Dickinson in that third act uh, that kept me laughing a lot too. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I love how the second act just employs like a heavy metal music track. Um, so as a fan. Yeah. <laughs> Like, it, like it's like build up and then the breakdown happens and then something happens on screen that you just are like, oh, no, yeah, like, it definitely has a lot of like very entertaining moments for sure. Yeah. Also to Woody Harrelson uh, and oh, my God, what's his name? Uh, the Russian actor. Yeah. Black Barrett. When they're in, when they're in the captain's uh, the captains <laughs> with the microphone. I, I couldn't get enough of that. I was dying. Ah, uh, man, that movie is fun. Yeah, despite my misgivings, like I still I still enjoyed the shit out of that film. Oh, yeah, and I mean, honestly, I after having finally seen it, I kind of do think this might do very well with the Oscars. Right. Yeah, it's kind of got that broad appeal while also speaking to something that is important. Uh, it's got I think I think Neon is doing a great job with getting it out there, like getting the word around that people need to watch this. And yeah, I'm starting to feel it for original screenplay. Uh, Dolly being a supporting actress contender, I think critics are going to go for her in the precursors. And then who knows where it could go from there. Yeah, we want to talk about the Botox marketing that we're doing right now. <laughs> the Botox marketing that you were giving away free Botox or whatever during the screening. Oh yeah, that's so funny. Oh my god, yeah. And the barf bags that they're handing out too for people. Yeah. The barf bags are funny, but they're literally giving you uh, free portions of Botox with screenings. I'm okay on that front. <laughs> 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 Alright. Anything else, Josh? Or No, that was basically it. it. It's been a relatively light week as I get ready for my own festival that's about to happen this week. Nice. I'm very excited for you. I know you look forward to that all the time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is always my favorite time of year. Mm hmm. All right. So for myself, I have a lot here. Uh, so I'm going to try and go through this as quickly as I can. Lyle Lyle Crocodile was surprisingly not trash. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and the reason why I think that is is because um, I had no idea it was actually a musical. Uh, the Pasek and Paul do the uh, songs for it. And they're catchy, you know, in that kind of radio-friendly, pop-sounding sort of way. Um, I wouldn't classify this as, like, a movie musical, but I would just say that, you know, the songs are entertaining enough that Javier Bardem, it's like he's, he did be in the Ricardos, learned how to play the bongos, and he decided, I'm going to do a full-fledged musical. And he just threw himself into this song and dance, all of the energy in the world, smiling throughout it looks like it's the most fun he's ever had on screen and i would say that alone just made the movie worth it even though it really wasn't you know my thing it's clearly a film that's aimed at children uh but yeah definitely much better than i was anticipating for sure so that was a nice welcome surprise mm. uh corsage finally caught up with this really like vicky creeps in this movie a lot i think it's probably her most nuanced and best performance to date I do wish that it committed a little bit more to the rebellious tone of it all, like almost in a fuck you favorite, the great sort of way. Uh, I do think it is sometimes, you know, going back and forth between trying to be like this prestigious, serious period drama and also that kind of a more modern sensibility. 
but I really did like that it was uh, very much about like her liberation and deterioration as well. Uh, it, it's definitely got a shot, I think, in an international feature, but I wasn't as fully with it as I wanted to be. But I mean, who knows? It definitely has a unique element to it that I think IFC can certainly run with. And, you know, I think they they clearly know that by the uh, that poster that they released with her just flipping off the bird. So if they keep on pushing that kind of a marketing with it, it will get some eyeballs on it for sure. Uh, terrific costumes and hairstyling, though. So I, I would not write this off, you know, if it doesn't get like an international feature nomination, could be a costume contender. Yeah, well, costumes and makeup are two very weird branches that go their own way a lot. So those would be the yeah. best shots I would think for it. Yeah, I, I see that very soon. So I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I caught up with Raymond and Ray, which uh, premiered at TIFF uh, and will be on Apple TV Plus in a few days time. Um, Ewan McGregor and Ethan Hawke are, you know, reliably solid in it. And they are worth watching the movie for. Uh, I do think the movie around them is extremely problematic. Um, I think it's at its best when it focuses on the shared pain that these two brothers have from their childhood being raised under their father. Uh, They're coming to grips with their father's passing and like everybody in the town saying what a great guy like their father was and how charismatic he was. And for them, they do not have that kind of history with him at all. Uh, There are some surprises in the screenplay that I just found to be completely unbelievable and silly. And that is what ultimately like ruined the movie for me. But yet overall, I didn't hate it. Um, I'm just kind of like in the middle of the road. I'm leaning more positive because I do think Hawk and McGregor uh, save it ultimately. Hellraiser. (laughs) Mm. Watched Hellraiser on Hulu. And I'm sorry to say I was not a fan as much as many other people were. Um, Really, really liked the gore of course like like that's like the one thing i was like just get this right please and yeah the makeup effects and the way that they do some of the body horror excellent really really loved all that jamie clayton i thought was an awesome pinhead in this lots of fun uh watching this uh story it's not a remake but it's like a new story and to kind of see it get like a modern update was also a lot of fun But, oh, my God, I did not like the writing or the acting for the human characters. I I just thought they were all so, so irritating. So that's what ultimately brought the movie down for me. Uh, Considering that this was from the same director that did The Night House, too, I think I also just went in maybe with a higher expectation than I probably should have. And I was left underwhelmed as a result. But still worth a watch, especially given that we're in spooky season right now. So if you're looking for, you know, something to chomp on during this time, you could do a lot worse than that. I also was underwhelmed by that movie, too. And it's very, I think, well directed. But I do agree that some of the performances aren't that great. And I also just felt like the story itself never really amounted to very much. And we got to the end of that film and it was just sort of like this is your finale. This is what it's all about. And from that perspective, I also felt it to be very lacking. And I, I will say it's better than the vast majority of other Hellraiser sequels because those are absolutely terrible. So it's a step in the right direction, but it wasn't as good as I wanted it to be. I definitely agree with you that it was a bit disappointing. Next up was the inspection. This is Elegance Bratton's uh, film that premiered at Toronto and is going to be the closing night film for the New York Film Festival next week. I will say that I think Jeremy Pope is absolutely sensational in this movie. 
he just radiates star quality, and I think he's undoubtedly going to get a lot more roles after this. Um, he carries the movie emotionally, physically on his back the whole way through because this is such a personal and singular story that in its singularity, I did feel that there was like a broader context and something that was grander that was missing from this in terms of don't ask don't tell within the uh united states military and where where the story could have touched on that a little bit more as is it's a solid directorial debut and i and i respect and admire that new york wanted to prop this up uh being that elegance is a uh, new york native filmmaker this is a featured directorial debut and they wanted to uh you know, basically give a new filmmaker a platform uh, to elevate him. Uh, that's all great. And I think that, you know, someday there'll be a great movie that will come out of uh, his work because here, I think it's just merely a good movie. And Pope is what elevates it ultimately because at the end of the day, like, I feel like I've seen so many of these types of films where uh, someone that is oppressed, in this case, uh, someone, someone that's gay, it just like, I don't know, just felt very derivative to me. And I felt like I've just seen this before. But, you know, it's kind of like, um, you know, like the it's like the first half of Full Metal Jacket, only if we were following one character through it and he happened to be gay. That's essentially what the movie is. Well, let, huh? let me ask you this. Uh, do you think Jeremy Pope or uh, what's the supporting actress's name? Oh, Gabrielle Union. Yeah, Gabrielle Union. Do you think either of them? Are gonna- She's not in it as much as I was hoping. She has like two big scenes and one scene in the middle where she has like a phone conversation and that's it. Oh, OK. So uh, I should take yeah. this out of my predictions anywhere. Basically. Uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not feeling it for her. I, I just don't think she's in it enough. And do you think Pope has any chance at crashing the best actor race? Like, I would have him in my my bottom five, but I don't mm. believe so. I think he'll get more breakout uh, mentions throughout the season more so than anything. Gotcha. Okay. Mm. I see that one soon, too, so I'm still looking forward to it. I uh, saw Kelly Reichardt's showing up at New York as well, and you guys all know Kelly Reichardt is not normally my speed. <laughs> I go hot and cold on her filmmaking style, although it is one that I still do admire because I do think she tells very human stories with relatable characters. And that is definitely the case here again. Uh, This might be the funniest film that she's ever made. I laughed a lot while watching this movie. It's essentially (laughs) like a hundred minutes of Michelle Williams taking care of a pigeon uh, with Hong Chao as her landlord, who is just giving her a hard time by like not fixing her hot water so she doesn't have uh, the ability to take any showers or anything. And she has this art show coming up. She's an artist that makes like these uh, what seems to be, I think, like clay uh, dolls. And then, you know, they get hardened and such. And I wouldn't it, it's interesting because like I wouldn't call like the art that she creates necessarily like good but i think that's very much what the movie is also speaking to is that art of any kind whether it's good or bad is purely subjective and in a way i almost feel like there's maybe a meta quality about kelly reichardt uh and her work being woven through with this movie too which is hey i know my work may not be for any for everyone but it is still art at the end of the day and you're either gonna love it or you're not and i think that that is what ultimately made me more positive on this than i have been on some of her other films in the past I'm almost done here. It was a very busy week. Uh, Alcaraz. So I saw this. This is a foreign language uh, submission here for the international feature. Won the Golden Bear at the Berlin International Film Festival earlier this year. It follows a 
family uh, on their farm as they are slowly coming to grips with the fact that their way of life is probably going to end soon because their grandfather had a deal in place for their family to work and live off of the land, and it was a handshake deal. It wasn't something that was actually put in writing. And now the true like landowner is starting to force them off and implement like solar panels onto the farmland to use for their growing business. So it's about, you know the change in, in, in their way of life and how they're all like coming to grips with that. Uh, great ensemble work from everybody. I could totally see why this won the Golden Bear. Totally get it. And the final shot of the movie is such a gut punch that I started to kind of wane from it a little bit as it went on. I was like, ah, this feels like it's dragging. They really need to end this strong for me to firmly recommend this. And it does end strong. So... Once they got like to that ending, I was like, "Ooh, that's that's impactful. That's good. That's that's a selling point right there." So, definitely recommend checking it out. I I don't once again like Corsage. I don't know if it's going to go all the way to the nomination. No, firmly in the ten, I would say, because of the notoriety behind it. Uh, but I'm not fully I'm not fully sold yet on it being one of the uh, five nominees when all is said and done. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing that one still. <laughs> I took a break from NYFF and I ventured over to New York Comic Con and I saw Violent Night with David Harbour and John Leg- Leguizamo. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a real movie. <laughs> this, you know, when the trailer dropped for this, I, I too was like, this is a joke, right? This, like, this is not real. <laughs> uh, it's real. It's David Harbour uh, just dressed up as Santa Claus as Santa, like really playing like, you know, the fictional slash real whatever you believe santa claus <laughs> he's got magic he's got reindeer there's a mrs claus like the whole thing only difference is that he is an alcoholic and he kicks a lot of ass he wields a hammer he breaks bone crushes skulls and saves a family on christmas eve who are being held hostage by john Leguizamo. guys it is silly it's stupid but it was fun i can't deny it <laughs> <laughs> The audience I saw it with totally loved it. Uh, it's not great. It really isn't that great. But if you can catch it, like maybe as like a rental and watch it like over Christmas, just to have on in the background to watch with friends or something, it, it, it's fun in a very, very ridiculous over the top way. It did look like dumb fun for sure. Right. All right. And now I'm going to end it with uh, two movies on a high note here. Uh, one is My Father's Dragon which is the new film from Cartoon Saloon that just had its premiere at the London Film Festival. This is uh, another Netflix animated feature contender this year. And I say that because, surprise, surprise, it's really good. (laughs) Animation is gorgeous. Beautiful. I mean, like, I thought Wolf Walkers looked really great. This, This just, it's a more polished look than Wolf Walkers. But it really, really worked for me. Um, the story was very emotionally resonant. It's a coming of age fable um, about uh, a kid whose mother, a uh, single mom, is going through tough times and he ends up getting transported to this uh, land with talking animals. He befriends a dragon uh, that is played by uh, Gaten Matarazzo from uh, Stranger Things. And uh, Jacob Tremblay is playing the kid, you know, so he's like continuing his streak with Luca in terms of playing protagonists with it <laughs> just. The most adorable, like, characterizations that Jacob Tremblay can uh, provide. 
and they're a great pairing. It's very heartwarming. It's funny. And I really found the themes of this movie to be really strong because it's just ultimately about a child who wants to help his mother, but lacks the power to do so. But like that desire to want to do something when you see that you're, you know, the people you look up to in life are going through really hard times. I just like, I, I was really, really, really captivated by the mature storytelling in this movie. So huge, huge contender. I think I, I I immediately after watching this, I put this at number two in my predictions behind Del Toro's Pinocchio. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That I didn't think you were going to be quite that high on it, but that just makes me excited to see it. And yeah, Cartoon Saloon literally has never missed an Oscar nomination. Mm-hmm. So very much, yeah, they have to take that seriously as a contender. All right. And the last thing I have for this week, I finally saw Christian Mingu's RMN, which premiered at the Cannes Film Festival. Amy, I know you saw this one, right? Yes, I did. Oh my God. If that does not have the best third act of any movie I have seen this year. Yep. And it's not even going to be a contender for international feature this year. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of shocked that this was not selected having now seen it. It's a very patient movie about uh, examining a, a Transylvanian village's rising tensions and anxieties uh, and z- of xenophobia as uh, some... Minor ethnic minorities essentially like kind of move in into their town and start like working uh, within like a factory. And it's also following uh, this protagonist's story um, that I got to admit, like in the early beginnings of this of the film, I wasn't really feeling uh, following like his journey along with what was going on with the town. I didn't think that the two storylines were coalescing as well as they could have. But then we get to the third act, and there is this stunning, incredible, mind-blowing 17-minute unbroken shot that just blew my mind. And it's a dialogue scene with, like, so many... I, I can't even tell you how many people are packed into the shot because it's a town hall scene. So it's like a, it's just a crowd of people. And the way that he's able to orchestrate all the film's themes and the characters and how they're all reacting to what is going on in this scene, just unbelievable. And then from there, it then went on to what I thought was one of the most powerful final shots of any movie I've seen this year. Like you want to talk about a movie that I was like kind of watching this thinking, ah, like it's good. It's fine. And then I got to the third act and I was like, holy shit. (laughs) Like I was knocked on my ass by this film in a very, very positive way. And I think it's one of his uh, better films that I've seen yet. It's really impactful, even if, you know, maybe maybe the themes and the storytelling coming from him. I don't know. People might feel like it's a little simplistic. I'm not exactly sure, but I I thought it was very layered and there was a lot of stuff going on here. Mm. Glad you said that, because I honestly was almost going to back away from seeing it after it wasn't selected, which I know is terrible to say, but it, it, you know, it's just the truth. But now that you have kind of raved about it and I'm, I'm back into wanting to see it now. Yeah. I just think that he's such a fascinating filmmaker. Uh, Graduation, obviously four months, three weeks, two days. Uh, And this is just another one that I, I think like we don't talk about him in the same vein as we do some other international filmmakers, but I'll tell you, one more film like this in the future, 
And I think that he'll get like maybe maybe he'll get like the Ruben Oslin treatment that he's been getting this year. You know what I mean? Yeah, maybe so. All right. That was a lot, but I'm done. (laughs) I got more to go this week, uh, but it's been a lot of fun. So why don't we kick it over to the questions? Let's see what the MVP film community had to ask us this week. And we're going to weave these all throughout uh, this week's episode here. So let's start off with tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Let's start this off with Aaron Sapak. Do you think that Apple would be better off basically skipping this year's award season or could releasing Emancipation be a good decision after all? I don't know. It just feels way too early following the Will Smith incident. This is actually a good segue to also work in our reaction to the trailer for Emancipation, uh, which, you know, we got confirmation, well, semi-confirmation last week that it would be coming. But like with the announcement of this trailer, we have a release date now from Apple it's coming. It's happening. <laughs> and so what do we think about this? Do we think it's too soon for Will Smith? How do we feel about its place in the Oscar race? What do you all think? I heard it myself. Slaves are free. Sasu. Lincoln. I mean, too soon for Will Smith in the sense that, I mean, I certainly don't think he'll get nominated for it, even if it's an incredible performance. But um, I think there was going to be, it was probably going to be a no-win situation for this movie, releasing it now or releasing it at a later date, at least for Apple. Because if Apple, you know, held on to it for next year, then it's competing with a bunch of stuff they have, like Killers of the Flower Moon, Napoleon... Um, and it would stand a chance of being buried there. I mean, here, Will Smith controversy or not, uh, given that greatest beer run ever seems to have crashed and burned, it will get to be Apple's only horse in the race. And, um, you know, Smith released his apology video, and he was at that NAACP screening, so clearly they have him out, and it seems like a good way to test the waters and see if people are ready to embrace him again. You know, I, I think in a situation where there weren't really any good options, this is about as good as it's going to get. And I think there were aspects of the film. I didn't like the color grade, but Robert Richardson shot this film. So maybe, if nothing else, it could end up in the cinematography race because the branch really likes him. You know, uh, Ben Foster, you know, maybe he shows up. Matt was joking like it. uh, Maybe this is what finally gets Ben Foster's Oscar nomination. Uh, I'm down for that. There there are places it could show up in the race, even if Will Smith is completely ignored. And I want to be clear about like the Will Smith like uh, reception that. I get a sense that amongst general audiences, they don't care and they're like ready for him to come back. But the industry, I think, is another question entirely. Yeah, I I think. Right. I think that's very much. I think that's very much how it's 
going to be. I mean, I, I, I don't think people are not going to go see Will Smith movies anymore. You know, if you released uh, Bad Boys 4 in this coming January, I think it would probably still make a lot of money. You know, I think you're exactly right. The question is, what do voters do? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. But I also agree with your assessment, though, that I don't think the movie could be entirely ignored. There does look like there is some decent work going on in this trailer here. Like Antoine Fuqua is not a director that I normally point to and say, oh, that's someone whose film I need to have like in my Oscar predictions this year. Uh, but this one stylistically definitely uh, caught my eye because it does look like unlike anything else that he's ever done before. Yeah, I it, it does seem very strange initially that they uh, that Apple would commit to releasing this movie this year. But I do agree with the assessment that there is probably no winning with the Will Smith situation. So it's like just sort of pull the bandaid off and release it now so that, yeah, it's not in competition with some other stuff they have next year. And I do, yeah, I do agree about the look of this film. I'm not 100% sure about that decision. It's very Tom Stern working with Clint Eastwood, uh, reminiscent of those days. And Wait until you guys see the trailer for Women Talking. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. So I'm a, little, I'm a little suspect of that. But there are some craft elements here that could be impressive. And I think that the story has potential to be good. We're in a wait and see attitude for sure. And it's sort of hard to kind of, you know, you you want to judge the movie, but then you also have to judge it against the whole Will Smith cloud that we're, you know, kind of existing in right now. But as this trailer goes, it does intrigue me, it, even if I'm not like completely on the I have to see this right now kind of bandwagon with it. What do you think are the odds that this gets announced as like a surprise screening at AFI? Or do you think Apple just wants to quietly release it? I think if they wanted to release it quietly, then they wouldn't. There, there was a, kind of a lot of fanfare for the fact it was coming this year. You know, giving the story, I guess, to a couple journalists and then releasing a poster and then doing a big trailer rollout months beforehand they wanted to release it quietly, they would have buried it. Like it, I mean, clearly they are going to try and promote this movie. I honestly do expect it probably to show up as a last minute addition to AFI. Yeah, I feel like that would be the right move just to try and get some people's eyes on it and in hopes that the reception is good enough that it then could sway some people that are on the fence about watching it to be like, oh, it got good reviews. Maybe I will check this out, you know? Yeah, I think it's too expensive to just dump. I think they have to put some effort into marketing this movie and getting it out there to people. But it does, to me, really also feel like Apple has literally nothing else to push. And this is the only thing they've got. And coming off of their best picture win, it sort of feels like you need to have something and this is just going to be it for them. But I, I still don't think it will go that far. But it would be interesting to see what the reactions to it are at the end of the day. You know what? Great segue into our second trailer discussion for this week, because Apple also released the trailer for Lila Newtbear's uh, Causeway, starring Jennifer Lawrence and Brian Tyree Henry, which is releasing a little bit before Emancipation on November 4th. Uh, this had its world premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival, uh, which is where I saw it. But I want to get some of your thoughts on this trailer, too, because I personally believe that Jennifer Lawrence and Bride Tyree Henry are contenders in Best Actress and Best Supporting Actor. 
Uh, do either one of you feel the same way, uh, having seen this trailer, or not really? Hey, look, if it get dark, now, you just ride it, okay? Yeah. Yeah. How do I do that? <laughs> All right, what's dark? Being back here. You don't got love for this city? You know, I, I think Lawrence is going to struggle with the fact that it is once again for like the fourth year in a row an incredibly stacked best actress field. But, you know, she while she isn't at the peak of her stardom, she was a few years ago. She is a good campaigner. This appears to be a pretty showy performance. I'm sure Apple will spend a decent amount of money getting her out there. Uh, I, I would not count her out getting in for a nomination. I think Brian Tyree Henry will have a harder time, um, not by virtue of the performance, but just because, I mean, supporting actor does seem really packed. But, you know, this is the kind of thing, if they could get it in front of SAG voters, maybe they both show up at, with double noms at SAG, and that helps. Brian Tyree Henry is, you know, he's been having a good five years of great output now. I would push back on that maybe a little bit. Prolific output, yes, but I think he's been underutilized, like, terribly so by so many filmmakers. Um, his last truly great performance, in my opinion, was If Beale Street Could Talk, and that was all the way back in 2018. And, and he was entertaining in Bullet Train. Like, he was fun in that. But I feel like otherwise, he's always popping up and stuff and not being given roles that are meaty enough for his talents. This role is, I think, his best performance since Beale Street. And I do think that I actually also am going to disagree with you on supporting actor. I think it's fluid enough that he could squeak in there because outside of what Gleason Kehi Kwan and Paul Dano, uh, there's like two open slots beyond that right now, right? Yeah, I guess I, I, I guess there's no there's no one who feels locked up. I'll give you that. Well, what about uh, yeah. Judd Hirsch? I mean, assuming the Fablemans is our best picture. But yeah, I mean, totally. But like once again, you know, I I would give all of them equal opportunity right now at this mm -hmm. current time. Uh, it, it just feels like that category can go any number of ways, whereas. Actor and actress definitely feels like there is like a top five and a bottom five where supporting actor and supporting actress, there's just so many possibilities right now. And I think the precursors will definitely help with narrowing those down for us. Uh, remember like Trial of Chicago 7 where we were like, oh, who are they going to push for this? And then like everybody just got behind Sasha Baron Cohen. And then a similar thing happening also with uh, Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami. Yeah. So... You know, I, I do think the precursors can kind of help to, like, narrow uh, things when we when we get there. Yeah, I, I think it will all depend on how many people check out the movie. Um, but also just with this trailer, I, I guess say that I thought it was just OK. Like, it's not a bad trailer, but it just made the movie kind of seem like a solid character study drama, which, you know, is good. But. I didn't really get a sense of like what was so extraordinary about it. So I'm still intrigued, but I will admit that the trailer just made it seem like like it was a very expected trailer for this movie, I felt. And it didn't really do anything special. Well, my complaint about the trailer is that 
I don't think it does a good job of actually telling people what the story is. Yeah, there is that too. Like, I don't think there's any indication in this trailer at all that Jennifer Lawrence is playing a veteran that's suffering from PTSD. I did not really get that sense. That's what the movie is about. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I do feel like the trailer is kind of murky on the actual plot to the film, too, which is weird for like a character drama. Mm hmm. But I will say that the trailer's tone does capture what the movie is. It's a very quiet film. And that's why I think I really like Jennifer Lawrence's performance in this. I feel like I'm so used to watching her play loud, big characters with big personalities. And here she just felt so much more grounded and real. And I haven't felt that way about her work, honestly, since Winter's Bone. Well, nice. That To me, that is her best performance. So that makes me excited. I think you're going to like this one, Josh. I really do. I hope so. Like, I, I am interested in it. I just don't think the trailer did a good job at getting me more interested in it. Mm -hmm. All right. Oscar H., who do you think could be Judy Dench, Jesse Buckley-esque surprise acting nomination? Who doesn't make it into many places in the precursors, but then just randomly shows up on Oscar nomination morning? Uh, well, I mean, obviously, if we want to do the Judy Dench play, you know, maybe we have one person from Women Talking, like say Claire Foy does well and then misses out and then voila, Jesse Buckley gets in instead. As, as Matt has said, the supporting actor and actress categories are kind of fluid. Um, I could see a world where only one of the women talking women gets in and this question of who. I, I will just say, having seen the movie, the best uh, example I'll use for your argument there, Will, is actually... Yes, like Claire Foy or Jesse Buckley like gets all of those mentions, but then it's like Judith Ivy who randomly gets in there. I also going back to your Judd Hirsch thing, that's another one where it's like that's the Judy Dench nomination, in my opinion, right there. It's like all season long, it's Paul Dano, Paul Dano, Paul Dano. And then like we get to nominations and it's like Judd Hirsch and we're like, what? <laughs> Well, honestly, with Dano, the other thing is, I mean, to me, that does kind of feel like Jamie Dornan, where um, it, you said it's not a showy performance. It's not like he would definitely be a coattail nominee, in my opinion. Yeah. Which, again, that that's a lot like Jamie Dornan, mm -hmm. where that was not so. And then he does miss. So, yeah, maybe maybe that happens. And Dano misses entirely. And then Hirsch gets in instead. I'm maybe wondering about something from Armageddon Times or maybe Anthony Hopkins or Jeremy Strong pulling in at the Oscars. I think that's very possible, especially because I do think that Strong has a lot of actor support. Uh, like people just really, really respect his work, I think. Uh, and Hopkins is just... <laughs> isn't it incredible that he is just like having like this incredible... Uh, career, I don't even want to say resurgence because like it, he hasn't ever like gone away or anything, but it, it just feels like we're going to nominate him or have him in contention like each year now he has a prestigious film in the race and I, I'm I'm all for it. <laughs> but this, yeah, it's time, funny. This is the third. This will be the uh, I guess the second time that's happened with his career because, you know, he almost quit acting before Silence of the Lambs. Because he felt like he was just getting crappy roles. And then, yeah. boom, that was like a complete career turnaround. And all of a sudden, he's in everything, prestige picks. Then he kind of slacks off again. And then, boom, the father happens. And now it's it's just the exact same things. Not slacks off is a bad term. He's always been a good worker. But he had, uh, yeah. he had a weak run in the 2000s. 
He's got a few. He's got a few VOD movies in there. Let's just say that. Um, yeah, yeah. Con- Connor Lorenz uh, with Best Actors fourth and fifth spots, somewhat up for grabs. Is there any chance a bigger name from a non-accessible movie slides in? Someone like Timothy Chalamet and Bones and All, Adam Driver and White Noise. They're in weird movies, but these movies will likely get a lot of people watching them. Maybe I, I think that Driver would be a more of a possibility than Chalamet just with those examples but driver for the record like having seen the movie screams to me uh denzel washington and roman j israel esquire like that kind of just off kilter performance that we kind of write off but like actors are just like oh i really love what they're doing in this and also that will benefit unlike roman j israel i mean even if white noise has kind of gotten a mixed reception it's gonna be a contender in other categories, unlike Roman J. Israel, which was literally Denzel or Bust. I mean, this is in the adapted race. It's maybe in supporting actress. It's in the score race, song race. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like it's more inclined to be watched. Yes. Which will definitely help. Also, too, like Timothy Chalamet is not happening. Uh, he's good in the movie, but he's promoting Dune right now. He's not going to be on the campaign trail. Oh, he's shooting Dune right now. So he's not going to be on the campaign trail. So I would give up hope on that, honestly. Uh, but my number five is uh, Bill Nighy for living. Yeah, Hell yeah. I mean, he is somebody that kind of tying back into the previous question, I could see not showing up anywhere. But because we know Sony Pictures Classics knows what they're doing when it comes to campaigning, that they could still get him into an Oscar five. So, yeah, I definitely think that he is in play for that. He's he's definitely going to get nominated by BAFTA for sure. Well, yes and no. I mean, I would have said that uh, three years ago, but I mean, we nobody knows what's going to happen with the jury systems. So honestly, he could be a one where we're like, oh, well, he didn't get in with BAFTA either. Kind of like Judy Dench. It's like, obviously not getting in now. And then boom, Oscar. Sure. <laughs> uh, Akshat Tavala, now that we've seen a major chunk of Oscar contenders, how do you see the critics picks lining up uh, with major above the line categories as of now, given the boost that they gave movies like Power of the Dog and Drive My Car last year? Their choices this year could be pivotal uh, for the last few spots. So I guess it's like kind of asking uh, which movie do you think will benefit the most from a critic's push? Uh, I think Tar is going to really need that help. Mm -hmm. And I think it's going to get it, too. I could see a world where Tar is, you know, doing really well at things like New York Film Critics Circle, National Society of Film Critics. Like, it feels like that kind of a movie for sure. Yeah, well, what it really needs is to get the push outside of Blanchett because like she's happening regardless. Like that's not going to be the problem with that movie. It's going to be, it needs to be taken seriously in the other categories around her. And that's where the critics will be very helpful to that film. If they decide to do that. Well, I mean, I think the biggest critical push this year is everything everywhere all at once. I think that's good. Yeah. I think that's another one. That movie really, I mean, listen, I think that, Oh, man, I don't want to get in hot water here because that's one of my favorite films of the year. Uh, But I do think people are getting a little too confident with that film. And they need like we all need. You know what, Matt? I'll join you. Yeah, I I, I, solidarity. We we need to, like, really brace ourselves right now. Yeah. I mean, the Academy's gotten much more open minded recent years, but it is still it's not typical Academy fair. I think it, it does need the critics groups to really rally around it like they did with Mad Max Fury Road. To yes. Kind of close the deal on that. Yes, th- exactly. Not saying not saying that, this, that it's not happening. Just they need that help. 
and even then, I would still say that the critical push helps it with nominations. But at the end of the day, it's still the industry going to make whatever decision that they want to make about a movie. And I I agree with you, Matt, that I think people are slightly overhyping this movie's chances in the Oscar race. It has passion for sure, and that is absolutely needed. But I, I think this movie is slightly more polarizing than people realize it is. And I think there's a large group out there that is not preparing themselves for this movie possibly underwhelming when it comes to the Oscars. I'm going to an Academy screening later today for it, so hopefully I'll have some more word to speak to about it. I, at least I hope. Yeah, and maybe I'm wrong. You know what? Maybe it will be a big hit with the industry, and I hope it is because it's a great film. But it's still a weird kind of a movie, and it's not for everybody. And I think that we should just prepare for that possibility that the industry might reject some elements of this film because it is rather unique and that might be off-putting to some people oscar h this is a great segue why are some people still hesitant to call kihi kwan a supporting actor frontrunner to me he is the only one who makes sense out of all the contenders we have seen so far he has a narrative a great oscar scene awesome character could be the representative win for everything everywhere all at once yeah i mean as you said we just kind of touched on that we need to see we need to make sure it clicks with ampass i also wouldn't say he's the only one who makes since I mean Brendan Gleeson, as we saw this week, you know he's going on SNL and he's had that hilarious skateboarding promo. Um, I, I I think he's going to be a lot of fun on the campaign trail, and you know he is very much kind of a J.K. Simmons type person where he's had a fantastic unacknowledged body of work for thirty years, if not longer, and uh, you know he's, he's never really been an awards player. He seems like a very nice person who's probably going to be good at uh, working the room at campaign events. I mean, I think especially if Banshees of Inishirin ends up being a more solid across the board player than everything everywhere all at once, because I mean, it might have its aspects that are, are also off-putting to old school Academy members, but it still feels a little bit more traditionally Ampus. You know, if it is a bit more of a solid top five player, well, then boom, that's its win. For a while now, I've been leaning towards Bren Gleason and Banshee's winning screenplay and supporting actor. But I got to tell you now, for now, I think I'm going to move Kehi Kwan into supporting actor and keep Banshee's in screenplay. I think Everything Everywhere All at Once is also probably going to get nominated for screenplay. In fact, I think actually on its worst day, it gets just that nomination and nothing else I oh editing i would be stunned if it missed editing oh well yeah okay i mean it wouldn't shock me to miss editing honestly i i, I don't think that's likely but I, I do agree that i think the worst outcome for it is only a screenplay nomination i i mean i could also see a world where the originality of that screenplay does win out and it, it it's it's 2017 all over again. Get out versus three billboards. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, funny. yeah, but sometimes that doesn't matter <laughs> with screenplay. It doesn't matter how original or inventive you are because they are. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. Well, I God. Mean, are also, you know, Coda <laughs> as well. Like sometimes it doesn't matter. They just like the movie or yeah. don't like the other one. That's all that matters. It's going to be interesting to see because I think those two key races in general, supporting actor and original screenplay, I, as of right now, I do think it is everything everywhere all at once versus Banshees, like for the number one, number two slots. Um, you don't you don't think uh, Fableman's factors in either one of those? 
let's wait and see. Okay, because I mean, I'm just saying, like, if if Fablemans is a strong Best Picture front runner, that obviously helps it in screenplay a lot. And you know, I know that Judd Hirsch isn't in it very much, but everybody just loves him. So I don't know. I just think that it's a bigger player than than we might give it credit for. Like, I would still say that it has an equal chance as the other two. Well, Oscar Odyssey asks, a lot of pundits currently have John Williams work in the Fableman's ultimately winning original score, yet there doesn't seem to be much passion behind that as of yet. If Williams isn't the front runner, who do you think triumphs in original score this year? I don't know. I think that's the reason why I really just have Fableman's at number one right now. I will say that having now seen the movie, I would not count out Danny Elfman, especially if Netflix just hammers and pushes into people's brains that he has never won a competitive Oscar. Yeah, that is wild. But there's also potential, you know, three of the still sight unseen films could fat four, really, uh, you know, because you have um, Nicholas Brutel for She Said. It depends on that one being how big a contender it is across the board. But, you know, he's just having a moment right now, obviously. There could be a narrative behind him. Uh, two sequels, both Black Panther to, you know, the first one, obviously one. And uh, you have Avatar. You know, it doesn't have James Horner, rest in peace. But both of those could be viable players there. And then, uh, obviously, you have Justin Hurwitz for Babylon. And, you know, yeah, every time he works with um, Damien Chazelle, we get just bangers of a score. So... Any of those could come in and shake the race up if people are getting kind of complacent. But then again, John Williams is just such a name and he is it is such a narrative if it's basically his last it's his second to last film. and It's his last film with Spielberg like, uh, you know, that might just be undeniable. Something tells me they're going to hold off until Indiana Jones, though, that being the last one, you know, but we'll say. Yeah, I don't know, because that still is like a sequel to other, you know, scores that he's already familiar with. You know, I, I maybe don't he, maybe he gets disqualified. <laughs> well, he'll, no, they'll still nominate him because they nominate yeah. him for everything. But hey, you know what? Actually, using that logic, maybe they'll give him wins for both movies. <laughs> possibly. Possibly. Ooh, Benny Dawson coming out here with the fire right now. Do you think the controversy and allegations against Brad Pitt will hurt his awards chances this year? Well, I don't think he was going to win anyway. For Babylon, right? Yeah, for Babylon. I mean, I don't think he was going to win anyway this soon after winning. But also, I don't know, man. He would be wise. Like, they would be very wise for She Said and for Women Talking to kind of, like, not have him on the campaign trail. The thing is, though, like, these allegations or similar ones have been very public about him for four or five years now and he just seems to shake them off and i'm yeah you know he has a sway over hollywood i am curious to see if they stick this time you know angelina has made very serious allegations about him and his behavior before and he it just seems to have been ignored in the past didn't he like come forward saying that a lot of these things like stemmed from him being like an alcoholic and then when he got sober uh didn't he like use like him getting sober as like a way to, from a PR standpoint to tell people like I'm better now and that's why it didn't stick? Uh, I think partially but I think he just outright denied some of them. Mm. And uh, I think his lawyers basically said, "Oh, you know, she's trying just to rest custody." But, you know, these allegations have come out multiple times. 
So, you know, I if he became if he ended up in a position where he looked like he was the front runner, I think then they would make a difference. But um, I'm waiting to see how subsequent legal proceedings go and what else comes out, uh, because for whatever reason, he's just dodged them so far. Well, for what it's worth, I removed him from my five predictions for supporting actor because of this. Honestly, I, I, I just. I don't know. I don't see him. I could see him just disappearing from all of the campaigns for all the movies that Plan B is making this year. And I think with Babylon, he'll do some press, but very little. It would be smart. I think it would be very smart of them to, you know, and also long term for his career, you know, if he does want to survive. I mean, he would be wise to have a low profile right now for sure. I think in particular because of the two films he is producing, it's She Said and Woman Talking. Jesus Christ, yeah. And yeah. if they put his name in front of them and say, this is who produced this film, it'll leave a really bad taste into the sort yeah. of how the film is actually perceived at the end of the day. Vic Toast, what are the chances that All the Beauty and the Bloodshed receives a Best Picture nomination? Could it potentially be our documentary snub of this year? Ooh, I, I listen, I've I've seen all the beauty in the bloodshed. And let me tell you something, the way that that premiered here at NYFF, it got a standing ovation during the press screening. And I am telling you all that never, ever happens ever. And then the centerpiece public screening, same outcome as well. Went to the after party for it. The industry of like people that I was just talking to, filmmakers, uh, publicity people, some actors uh, that were there too. I, I tried to talk to as many people as I possibly could, and the best picture buzz. Forget about best documentary. People, as soon as I said I'm Matt Negley from Next Best Picture, they were like, "Oh, do you think this has a chance in best picture?" I was like, "Whoa, that's what's on everybody's minds right now." <laughs> and so, I think the Golden Line win, the fact that Neon is behind this, the strong reviews. It's being propped up early in a way that most documentaries are not given the opportunity uh, for. And as a result of that, you're going to get, I think, more eyeballs on this than uh, most docs usually do. And I think, listen, I'm not predicting it, but I could see a path. Oh, that's Neon, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, Neon would really have to kind of make that push in, in terms of like how history making it would be sort of uh similar to what they did with flea and its nominations but i mean even still getting a doc nominated for best picture is a huge uphill battle and believe me it, it should have happened already there have been plenty of documentaries that have come out in the past that were good enough to be nominated for best picture but it, it's it's a lot of work to convince sort of regular people that documentaries are like quote-unquote real movies so it I don't doubt that they can make that case, but they really have to push that case to be made. They got to convince the actors branch. That's our Lafka best editing winner. That's our possibly New York Film Critics Circle best picture winner yeah. right there. Yeah, no, but I mean like Lafka, you know, they love docs there. And that, so I, I think that's definitely happened. But yeah, it will be cool if it does take one of the big critics groups. Like if it, I mean, that that would go a long way for sure if it won NYFF. I, I, I could see it happening. I really could. It's just because of the history, 95 years. I just, yeah, I'm sorry. Like, I'm not going to, like, predict it from a 
oh, like advocacy standpoint. Oh, if I put in my 10 and people see Matt Negley is predicting it, like, oh, maybe I should consider it. No, sorry. I just don't think it's going to happen. I see the path, but I'm not there yet. Like a lot of things need to happen for this to occur. So it'll be one of those things where it's like, I'll believe it when I see it. Now, since you are heavily considering it as a possible Best Picture nominee, does that mean you think it is in the front runner for a documentary feature? Uh, yes, I actually do. And the whole idea of it being like, you know, quote unquote snubbed, I do not think that this is the movie that would miss that nomination this year. Th- there are some more popular documentaries that I've seen in the race this year so far that I think will like be name checked across the board everywhere and then could miss still like Novani kind of fits that description for me. Like, I feel like that is like the best example that we've seen so far of a won't you be my neighbor or an Apollo 11 where it's just super popular. People love it. But the doc branch just for some reason, it's just not their cup of tea. Yeah. But all the beauty in the blood, all the beauty in the bloodshed definitely is something that that branch has gone for in the past in terms of how it's made how it's presented like it's it's their style of movie you know what i mean yeah and there's always like a movie in the race where it is either number one or two or it is number six mm-hmm. uh will you brought this up earlier if both black panther wakanda forever and avatar the way of water turn out to be successful both critically and financially would that guarantee that one or both of them will possibly be nominated for best picture like their predecessors i wouldn't guarantee i mean especially if we already have a blockbuster like Top Gun Maverick that's taking up a spot. But, you know, if both of those things are box office behemoths right in time for Oscar voting, it it is possible. I mean, especially if there are certain films like you kind of alluded towards with something like Tar, for example, if for whatever reason it plays well with critics but doesn't click quite as well with voters. You know, especially now that they've gone back to the uh, 2009-2010 voting system that more favored blockbusters that are lower on people's ballots as opposed to being, you know, the most key 5% of people's number ones. It could happen and it could happen at the expense of some very critically acclaimed movies. But uh, a lot needs to happen between now and then for me to think that is going to happen, especially for both of them. Well, let's talk about the blockbuster that's clearly going to be nominated for Best Picture in uh, next year, and that is the Super Mario Brothers movie here for a moment. We got a trailer for this. It generated a lot of talk, so let's talk about it. What did you all think of the trailer for this Nintendo adaptation by Illumination? That is but a taste of our fury. Do you yield? <laughs> I do not. I finally found it. Now who's gonna stop me? That one's perfectly fine. Come on, Mario! Mushroom Kingdom, here we come! I mean, everything honestly looked not that bad. 
and then Chris Pratt opened his mouth. <laughs> I'm in the same boat. I actually was surprised at how well the animation style was uh, paying respect to the original video games, and it looked great. Jack Black, I freaking love that he modulated his voice to sound yeah. more menacing as Bowser, because I was worried it was going to be like the typical Jack Black comedic voice uh, acting like Kung Fu Panda, if you will. So I was happy to hear that. And then, yeah. Mushroom Kingdom, here we come. Oh, my God, Chris Pratt. I just... You know, oh. they, they reminded me weirdly of... Uh, people were comparing it to a lot of things. What it reminded me of when he said that was the voice Bradley Cooper does in Guardians of the Galaxy alongside... Oh, for Rocket? Yeah. Rocket, yeah. With Mushroom Kingdom, here we come. People forget, though, that Chris Pratt did play the lead role in like the lego movie and he wasn't bad for those movies but i'm sorry that is just not when i think of mario i do not imagine chris pratt's voice coming out of that character (laughs) it's it's funny i just want to say matt it's funny that you mentioned that oh yeah chris pratt great voice performance in the lego movie where he's intentionally playing a very generic and bland character (laughs) yeah that's why it worked (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Someone pointed out, like, on some level, would you really want, you know, two hours of a character actually speaking like, it's me, Mario, hello. I mean, in there is something to be said for that, but I do think there's going to be a... I don't think Chris Pratt's voice is going to ruin the movie, but I, I think it will be a missed opportunity if he is going to do such a generic flat voice i don't think it's gonna ruin the movie though i'll tell you what it has done it's produced some incredible memes over the last couple of days oh yeah the image of mario like holding his chest is so funny some (laughs) of the things that i've seen online with that great memes yes (laughs) oh that might that might have to be like our image uh for this week's show honestly just (laughs) shout out to uh chris evangelista for his one where it was like um it was um, Lee Harvey Oswald in the Dallas jail. <laughs> Stop. November 8th. You know, it's the, it's the image of him With Jack Ruby? Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I saw one that was the Mahalindra jump scare. No, yeah. that's my favorite. Vito Kulani oh. playing with his grandson. <laughs> uh, great memes, for sure. I also saw someone online saying we're going to pay uh, Charles Martinet, who does the voice of Mario, on Cameo to reread every single line of the dialogue and import it into the film. Like, hey, you know what? <laughs> Somebody will definitely do that someday, like on YouTube, I'm sure, because mm-hmm. it's an animated film, so you can easily do a, a dubbing if you wanted. Oh, man. It, you know, it's better. It, it looks better than I thought it was going to be. I, I will give it that. I just... Yeah, like he's the only detriment. Otherwise, I thought this was a really effective teaser. It's going to make like a bajillion dollars. Oh, yeah. It's, oh, yeah, it's going to make, make all so the money. money. It's got like just so much cross appeal generationally for older audiences, younger audiences, illumination, animation. Just they, they have a hold on doing cutesy characters that sells toys for kids. And yeah, I mean, like, God, it's going to it's going to be massive. And then Chris Pratt's going to say it's because of him. We'll probably we'll probably hear a pat on the back interview somewhere. I'm sure. <laughs> you know what I want to do? Actually, I want to uh, just go over the polls while we're at it, really quick here. Uh, so, hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. 
If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. Last week's poll for the release of Tar, we asked everyone which is their favorite Kate Blanchett performance. Uh, Will, I know you haven't seen Tar quite yet. Josh, same to you. But what would you uh, what would you say starting with Will? Uh, I answered this last week. I mean, it, it, Blue Jasmine. Yeah, I co-signed that. Josh, what about you? Yeah, I think I would have to agree about Blue Jasmine, but a strong second place for me is Notes on a Scandal. Love that. Love that choice. Amy? Yeah, co-signing on Blue Jasmine. I'm not going to get to see Tar until January, so... Oh, it's one of those releases this year for you guys? Oh. Yep. I always feel bad about the UK whenever it's like one of those releases that it just takes months and months and months. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I'll get there some and the trade-up is that you get to see Ticket to Paradise like three weeks before us. I'm sorry, that's not a fair trade. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> what a wonderful trade-off. All right. Let's see what the MVP film community did here. Uh, number 10. Okay. Number 10. I, I am glad to see this made the top 10. The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. All right. I mean, she's good. I don't think it's like one of her best. I, I just really, I have a new, I have like a new appreciation for that movie. I watched it again a couple of years ago, and I was like, wow, this is actually a lot better than I remembered it being. Uh, but I, I echo what you're saying, though, in terms of, like, her body of work. I don't know if I would uh, put it in the top ten, but I think that just might be general love for the movie. And also, too, it's probably just a, a movie that's been seen by a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, Best Picture nominee, David Fincher. Like, yeah, I think people have just seen it. Number nine. Oh, I'm surprised this is this is very low, but this is going back to the whole how many people have seen it argument. I'm not there. That is very low. I thought that would be much, much higher. I mean, she almost won that Oscar. Yep. Hmm. Interesting. Truly a transformative performance. Really, really impressive work from her in that one. Oh, yeah. She's great. Number eight. The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. Well, I'm sure you're very happy, Matt. I, you know, it's like on one on one hand, yes, I am because it's just on brand for me to support the Lord of the Rings. But on the other hand, sorry, that's easily like a number ten at best for me. I mean, she is good in that movie. I mean, she's got one of the most memorable scenes in it. Yeah, but I'm not putting I'm not there below it. Where she like is tempted by the ring, and it's like that always. That's good. I, I will tell you this. Thor Ragnarok is not in this top 10, so I'll take <laughs> Fellowship being here over that. Number seven, a new performance from her, Nightmare Alley. She's very good in Nightmare Alley. Number six, The Aviator. Hmm, you know, I go back and forth on her and The Aviator. At the time, I loved her, and then I sort of cooled, and then I kind of went back. So it's it's a polarizing performance, I feel. Number five is Elizabeth, the first one. Oh, not the second one. I mean, to be honest with you, I remember the second one more just because of that one clip that they used at every award I show. I can control. I'm too. Kick him on the wind side. <laughs> I have a hurricane in me that will strip Spain. Bear if you dare to try me. 
It was yes. the only thing they played. Like literally every award show, that was the same clip they played over and over again. So yes, I have it memorized. <laughs> Number four is Notes on a Scandal. Nice. Number three is Tar. Pretty impressive for that movie to show up. It's quite so high. I did not think it was going to crack top three because I just, you know, it's in limited release right now. It's not even in wide release. So I wonder how many people just voted for it, like on the assumption of like, yeah, yeah I haven't seen that. it, but I'm sure it's great. Could be that too. <laughs> uh, and number one and number two, by a difference of, let's see here, 22 votes. Number two is Carol. And number one is Blue Jasmine. Carol is really great, too. Yeah. For this week's poll, we are asking everyone for the release of Decision to Leave, which is your favorite Park Chan-wook directed film? Amy? He's a filmmaker that I'm really fascinated by, but I haven't even seen a lot of his stuff. It's one director I really want to go through methodically, film by film, and fully explore, but I think right now I'm going to go with The Handmaiden. But Decision to Leave is very, very, very good as well. Yeah, I, I have to say to Handmaiden, I'm sorry I'm not going to be different in that regard. Um, although I did just recently watch Thirst for the first time ever, and that was fucking great. <laughs> but The Handmaiden for me. Josh? Yeah, I'm probably going to be boring and say The Handmaiden as well. I haven't seen Decision to Leave yet. I, that will be remedied this month. Finally, um, I am still very much looking forward to it. Um, but like the other thing I would shout out is Old Boy, and I have a feeling yeah. that would be the other movie that people would say is their favorite too. Uh, that's what I was going to say. I mean, I, I think that one will always be uh, influenced by the fact I saw it when I was first really getting into film, and it's one of those like, holy shit movies if you see it at that point. But yeah. it is so just immaculately crafted. And the twist is so fucked up, but it is, you know, it really gets you. Uh, yep. <laughs> I was for, I was fortunate to get to meet him uh, this week and tell him, like, thank you for making Old Boy during a formative years of my cineph cinephile life. Because <laughs> like you, Will, I too saw it uh, pretty early as well. And it, 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 I mean, it's a cool movie. I can't deny it. <laughs> Have you all seen Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance? I yes yep. yes I have and also Lady Vengeance too yep mm -hmm. I've seen uh, all the movies in the the Vengeance trilogy but Old Boy's the best yeah yeah I would say Old Boy's the best then Lady Vengeance then Mister Vengeance I oh, see my memory is having that flip but I haven't seen the other two in a very long time all right well head on over to the polls page nextbestpicture.com cast a vote there and we'll read out the winners on next week's show uh let's continue on here with uh, some final questions before we call it a week here george masters george g masters sorry how do you critique review films fairly when watching on the big screen or at festivals versus at home the experience is so different i'm just curious to know how you all do it yeah i mean it is a very different experience and i think all you can just try to do is just pay attention to the movie honestly like it you still have to do that with whatever environment that you watch it so yeah you just try to strip everything away and just focus on the screen in front of you put away your phone give it your full attention i completely agree with you that's how you do it at home um i you know, I, I will admit that a theater experience always enhances a viewing. Mm -hmm. um, there are some people who don't feel that way and think, oh, I could have watched it in either format and it would have been fine. 
Uh, but I do agree with that somewhat from a standpoint of the movie is the movie is the movie is the movie. Like, if the movie is great, it doesn't matter how you watch it. But I do think that the theater experience will always add, if that makes sense. Speaking of theaters right now, uh, James Scott uh, says, hey, I'm so glad that Amy's on this episode. Would you all give a shout out to the Edinburgh Film Festival, uh, the Film House for uh, Independent Cinema, and the Belmont uh, Film House as well. As someone from Edinburgh, the Film House is my other home. I don't understand why London uh, Film Festival is also going on and no officials down there are addressing this situation. The BFI are supposed to be the British Film Institute. Yeah, Amy, uh, due to the recent closure of it, do you have like any thoughts on that? Yeah, so for those who obviously won't know, I actually worked at the Belmont Film House. We weren't given, we, we were given like one night's notice of a meeting and then we were all made redundant, everything shut. There are people trying to save it, but I, who knows how long that takes. Unfortunately now, like, my city has lost its only independent cinema, so if you want to see world cinema, if you want to go to see screenings that are more accessible, it's all shut. And as much as I am sad that I've lost my job, I'm really sad that we've lost this space, a space that I called my home, essentially, for seven, eight years the space that introduced me to the film community, to the film industry. And, yeah, London Film Festival still goes on. People still promote it. The BFI have done essentially nothing to try and see what they can do to help save it. Um, it really is just a sad time and everything's just up in the air right now. So, especially for those in America or not in the UK, use your independent cinemas. It's good to say, oh, I support independent films. Who went out to see Bros? Who's actually going to these independent spaces? Because if you don't use them, as you'll see here, you lose them. So that's my main message from this situation. Yeah. Yeah. It it, it feels like every week, uh, as I kind of said at the top of the show, it almost feels like there's always like this distressing news about just the theater going experience. And the times where we do hear positive things, it always seems to be for films with pre-existing IP or a studio horror movie or something like that. And uh, this is this is what you get when you don't support anything else other than that. And that's really, really sad. And I'm really sorry to hear that, Amy, truly. It, the sad thing is it is what it is. We just need to try and build it up. Try and get it back and build it stronger and have this be a warning to people that you need to use this space if you want to keep it. Uh, Alicia Martinez, of the films that have underperformed at the box office so far this year, which has the best chance to still get Academy recognition? That's an interesting question because I feel like our conversations are always focused on the films that actually do well. The ones that don't do well, the ones that we write off. Yeah, and like, because don't do well has many contexts. Like, there's a don't do well in terms of was expected to do better, but then there's also like, well, it's a small movie that probably most people in the industry are going to see on screeners anyway. So is it that much of a big deal? I, I don't know. It's difficult to sparse between those two sides of it. Yeah. I don't know if I can give an answer to this question. Let's see how some of the, you know, winter releases perform and we can revisit this. I think a little bit later, uh, Ryan Rabideau, 
Uh, hey, Matt and crew, I'm very interested in Till, but at the same time, I'm extremely nervous about seeing it. My question is, for those who have seen it, how difficult of a watch is it, and does the movie handle the subject matter in a respectful way? Uh, Will, I'll let you take this one. I mean, any movie about Emmett Till's murder is going to be a difficult watch. I think this handles it in about as respectful and non-exploitative way as could be done. I mean, it is, it's very upsetting, especially when you see the body. Um, They do not show, mercifully, they do not show the actual act, but seeing the body is very upsetting and it is an incredibly upsetting story. A lot of the film is about the aftermath and about the subsequent court case and struggle to bring his tragedy to national attention. Um, And so I I think had they just literally focused on the act itself, that that would have been a tremendous mistake. I mean, I'm not I'm I'm not going to tell anyone to watch this because it is objectively very upsetting. And I I think it, it depends your mileage will vary, but I, I think it's about as respectfully done as it could be. Yeah, I, I do agree. And I would encourage people to see it for Daniel Deadweiler's uh, incredible performance in it. I think that is the reason to endure what this movie will, especially for parents. If you're a parent, uh, this movie should come with a trigger warning, I feel like. Uh, but her performance is so good that it makes the experience, I think, worth it. And I was having this debate with somebody uh, the other day, too, where respectfully, like the person said, I'm not going to see it. I'm tired of seeing black trauma depicted on screen. I don't need to see it. I know about the history of this. And I think that's perfectly relevant and fine. Um, At the end of the day, I think that movies like this need to exist because uh, there is still injustice in the world. Uh, Stories like this are not being told, I think, in all classrooms across the country. And this story cannot be forgotten because, first of all, it is very pivotal in the civil rights uh, movement, but also has uh, ties today as a reminder to people uh, that there are still lynchings that do happen across this country. And as horrifying as that is to believe, it is real. And we need stories like this to hopefully get a broad audience so that people can a be reminded and b um maybe somebody in power with actual legislative authority uh can see it be moved by it and then use it as a way to fuel whatever change they are looking to implement um i I think that's why you know movies like this if done respectfully i want to add an asterisk to that which i think this movie does uh achieve um that's why i think they will always have a place yeah i do think there are still a lot of people out there that just don't want to see this story again. And I, I think that's going to be an issue for the film. Yep. Josie DeMarco, last season, the Best Actress category did not include any films nominated for Best Picture. Is it possible that we could see the opposite this season? Oh, let's think about that for a minute. So Best Actress Contenders. Uh, well, you know what? Right there. Till, Deadweiler. I mean, the film might not get nominated for Best Picture. Also, uh, if I want to dance with somebody shows up, yeah, you have Jennifer Lawrence factoring in. And then honestly, as we discussed earlier, okay, maybe 
Uh, everything everywhere all at once doesn't hit as well, but Michelle Yeo is still able to get in. So you have. We were talking about Tar earlier too. I mean, Tar Tar could miss. Uh, everything could miss right now, or everything could get in. <laughs> Olivia Coleman as well for Empire Light. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The only thing I know for sure is Fablemans is getting in. <laughs> yeah. The category is deep, but it's still not connected to a lot of surefire Best Picture contenders. Edwin Araz, seeing Pinocchio's behind-the-scenes footage looks incredible. Do you think that this movie could get any other nominations besides Best Animated Feature? Yeah. Well, I wrote a piece recently about uh, Netflix's chances for Best Picture this year, and a lot of the feedback that I received on that piece was, you mentioned all these movies, but you didn't mention Guillermo del Toro's uh, Pinocchio, and... There, there's a lot of people who think that this movie will be bigger than just animated feature, which is, you know, definitely my oversight for sure and not potentially recognizing that as a best picture player for Netflix. Um, that That's because I'm kind of in that wait and see approach. Uh, I definitely think it's an animated feature contender and I would not write off this plot as a original score contender. Uh, but there are people who are also saying, hey, visual effects, production design, like, the, like there's a lot of paths that this could take because it's the combination of Guillermo del Toro who we all love um, as exemplified by his defense of Martin Scorsese this week (laughs) yet again another reason to love Guillermo del Toro and Netflix being behind it yeah visual effects I think is very much in contention and as we know with with Kubo that nomination kind of set the precedent for uh, animated films and I think particularly stop motion films in that category I, I think Best Picture, we kind of need to, like, maybe cool that down just a little bit. Like, it could happen for sure, but once again, anything that is not a live-action narrative feature is going to struggle in the Best Picture category. So I have doubts that Netflix is going to make that particular case with that film, but, you know, we'll see. But I'm I'm doubtful it'll go quite that far. But, yes, yeah, score and visual effects, I think, are definitely in play for that film. S2S Movie Reviews, how exhausted are you since going from festival to film festival? Are you still excited and energized by the season and what's to come? I'm always excited and energized by what's to come. This is what fuels me. (laughs) This is what gives me my power. (laughs) As crazy as you kind of take it sometimes, Matt. (laughs) I know, I know. I I get the occasional, uh, you know, like Willem Dafoe in Nightmare Alley. Is he man or is he beast? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I've gotten like the cyborg, like, oh, he's not he's not human. He's he's machine. I don't know how he does it. <laughs> but no, in all honesty, seriously, I love it. It's uh, a reason to get out of bed in the morning. I mean, Josh, you're about to go through the same experience in a few days, too. Uh, like, you know, do you ever feel that sense of, yeah, I'm exhausted, but like there's nothing else I would rather be doing? Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Because at the end of the, of the day, you're still seeing movies and you're very appreciative of that. It is very time consuming and it can get exhausting. But, yeah, it, it's a good kind of exhausting for, for sure. Even though you get to the end of it and you do appreciate a little bit of a break, you still do love it as it's happening. Oh, believe me, I'm counting down the days until I can get sleep again. It's going to be fantastic. It, yeah, yeah. All right. And then last thing for this week, Isaiah Washington, one's got to go. He says 2010s actresses. I don't know what he means by that exactly. Uh, but I guess I guess it's like the same rules of their entire body of work goes. So the choices are Jennifer Lawrence, Scarlett Johansson, Emma Stone, Saoirse Ronan. Entire 2010s. Tough ones. <sighs> um, 
okay, sorry. But for me, it's Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah. I can live without the O. Russell output. I can live without the Hunger Games output, the X-Men movies. I can live without. The only thing I feel like I'm really losing Mother. here is Mother. Yeah. Yeah, I can't do that. Jennifer Lawrence is a big, big part of like this entire decade of me getting into sort of analyzing films. And oh, it, I might go Saoirse Ronan. No. Oh, my God. You lose Lady Bird, Brooklyn. I feel I feel like I'm gonna have to go with Sarah Shaw. I feel like her films are. You're gonna I... lose the Grand Budapest Hotel. Mm. I know, I know, I know. I, I'm sticking with it. All righty. Oh. I can't kick out Emma Stone because I love the favorite too much. Yeah, no, no. Oh, I can't lose La La Land. And Scarlett Johansson, uh, like lost in translation just like right there it's like no, no. but he said 2010s so i think <laughs> oh i see i took it as like the entire body of work but he chose like 2010s actresses i didn't think he meant like their body of work from the 2010s if it is body of work from the 2010s then that does change the yeah dynamics of the question definitely if it, i was interpreting it that way and saying that way i would say uh i would say scarlet i like jojo but not as much as some people honestly like I, I didn't love Marriage Story as much as some people either. Wow, I, I, they're they're good. Don't get me wrong, but when you're having to lose, when you're having to make tough calls like this, and then you under the skin, excellent. But I think probably Scarlet for me. See, I think I'm gonna also say Jennifer Lawrence. I was sort of thinking about Scarlett Johansson, but you know, under the skin actually is really good. I don't know if I can afford to lose that. I can't lose her either. Oh yeah, her is a tough one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think I'm going to say Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, yeah, okay. Now that you mentioned her, I think I have to shift back to Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> All right. We've broken some hearts. We've made some people angry. Good note to go out on here. <laughs> <laughs> Another day at NDP. <laughs> exactly. All right. Amy Smith, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Films with Amy. Josh Parham. You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. And Will Mavity. You can find me on Twitter at Mavericks Movies. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 314 of the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. 
Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time.